Hi and welcome to the Life of Tribe podcast. In this episode I'm joined by Abby Coleman who's from Precision Hydration and we explore some of the science behind hydration, um, replacing salts, what you should be taking, when you should be taking it and explore the fundamentals of hydration and what every triathlete should know about what to take, when to take it and how to take it. The episode was recorded on the 29th of April 2020. A big thank you to Abby for joining us uh, and to Precision Hydration for providing discount codes to all our listeners. Check out the description to the podcast. The episode is really informative, so I hope you enjoy. Let us know your feedback, Um, but here's the episode. Thank you. So I'm joined by Abby Coleman from Precision Hydration today. Abby, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. No worries. Abby's going to join us um, to have a discussion around um, hydration and how specifically triathletes can look at their tr- hydration needs and um, how they can incorporate into their training and also into their their racing. Um, Abby, can I just ask um, sort of the background be- behind the company? How, you know, what specifically is your role within the sector? Yeah, absolutely. So Precision Hydration is all, it was founded by Andy, uh, Andy Blow, who was a sports scientist in his younger years. He was, uh, did his degree in sport and exercise science, and then he went on to be the sports scientist for the Formula One teams, Renault and Benetton. Um, did that for a number of years, and through that kind of got a contract to open a human performance centre. Um for Porsche, the, the driving uh, the cars at the Silverstone F1 circuit. And out from that human performance sensor grew precision hydration. And that all kind of came about from the fact that Andy himself was a very, very good triathlete in his younger years. Um, and he found that he could perform very well in cooler conditions, but come hotter days, longer events, Ironman distances, and he just fell apart. And what he was very aware of was that he had a very big sweat rate. You know, that was very obvious that he sweated a lot. But what he wasn't aware of was his sodium losses and the fact that in his sweat, he was very, very salty. And fortunately, it was through his work at the Porsche Human Performance Lab that he came into contact with a doctor. And the doctor made him aware of the fact that this might be the case. And this was completely new to Andy, you know, he had no idea that it, it was such a thing that different people lost different amounts of sodium in their sweat and you could be salty or you could not be salty. And so the doctor sent him for the sweat test. It was recognized and Andy will say himself that it was like night and day between not taking on enough salt and suddenly supplementing um, and matching what he was lo- losing and he his performance, you know, greatly improved and suddenly he was able to maintain that performance in in hot conditions so that was kind of where the sweat test came from and and the ideas of of the business and Andy recognized that if this had had such a big effect on him and his own performance then perhaps there was others out there as well that that it might be useful for so that's where the business grew from we're now a team of 10 people so we've come a long way Um, my role particularly is as a sports scientist um so i do a lot of work consulting athletes sweat testing 
um, more on the research side of things. I work with quite a lot of our ambassadors looking at their kind of fueling and hydration because the two go quite hand in hand. So I do quite a lot of work on that, that side and um, just lend a hand all over really. It's a very, very uh, varied, very job and every day is, is different. Oh, brilliant. You, you mentioned um, about athletes or, or Andy um, specifically, you know, he was, a, he was a big sweater, let's put it that way. And um, it's definitely something that I've noticed within the various clubs that I, that I train with and the various other people. And you, you can go out on, um, on, on a run, for example, and it could be a five mile run and some people just don't seem to sweat at all. You know, and then there's other people, and, and, and I'm probably one of these as well, who's absolutely dripping at the end of it. So, so some of that science behind whether you're a sweater or not, if you are a big sweater, does that necessarily mean you lose salt at a higher rate or is it a bit of a mixture? So it, it varies definitely at a, at a higher rate, but it's the two factors we've got to account for. So certainly if you're someone that sweats a lot, like yourself, Andrew, a big volume sweater, you run the risk of having a greater net loss. Of sodium loss because you're simply losing more yeah but we have to boil it back a little bit and look at the concentration of that sweat so we found from our advanced sweat test which maybe we'll talk a bit more about in detail because i understand that people will be listening to that and thinking what the hell is she on about yeah from the advanced sweat test we know that some people like andy are super salty and may lose around you know up to 2,000 milligrams of sodium per liter of sweat and some people are not salty at all and may lose as little as 200 milligrams of sodium um, per litre of sweat. So there's almost like a tenfold difference. And in truth, that is very much like a bell-shaped curve. And so a lot of people fall around that kind of moderate region in the middle. But it is a, a widespread and we've seen people right the way across. So you've got to look at the concentration of the sweat and then how much sweat they're losing. And Andy was a double whammy and he was really salty and a really heavy sweater. Yeah. But you could be salty and not sweat a lot at all. So your net, your net loss might be somewhere in the middle or you could not be salty, but you could be a really big volume sweater. Yeah. And so, again, your net loss could be somewhere in the middle. And so that's why you have to look at everyone on kind of an individual basis. And we go down the line of personalizing hydration because no two people are the same. You might be doing the same event, you might be the same fitness level, but actually your hydration needs could be very different. Which would bring us on then nicely to your sweat test. And um, without me you know, putting words into your mouth here, you know, give us the background to, to what it is, what does it entail and how can people um, get access to it? Yeah, so the, the advanced sweat test was actually originally um, a diagnostic tool in uh, medical terms for uh, the condition cystic fibrosis. So people that suffer from cystic fibrosis, they don't have a protein in their sweat gland and they lose you know, extortionate amounts of um, sodium. They're like right at the upper end of the continuum. And um, so the test was used to recognize that. That's obviously a symptom of CF, so the test recognizes that. We brought it into the, the sporting world and although it sounds like when you say sweat test, you think you've got to go and jump on a treadmill and run for an hour and get super sweaty. 
and that is one way of doing a sweat test is like patch testing yeah. our test is very very different in that it's just two electrodes placed on the forearm it uses a method called pilocarpine iontophoresis which sounds really technical but yeah. it's just two electrodes we run a current through it it has a chemical on one of the discs it induces the sweat glands to start contracting so you begin to sweat on one spot very concentratedly we then get a sweat collector it's like a disc we pop it on that spot it may take around 20 minutes for you to sweat into the back of the collector it has tubing inside and you can see it fill once we've got enough of a sample we unwind the tubing and we run it through our analyzer so the whole process takes around 40 minutes and then we have a consultation with people and talk them through their results and their strategies off the back of that as to where they can get that done we have a, a number of sweat test centers around the globe now we're, we're very fortunate in in that um so if you head on to our website you, you can find that information there but um Brilliant. obviously with the current situation the advanced sweat test is a little bit off, off the cards yeah um, so we do have an online sweat test which is probably the the second best thing right now and again people can find that on our website yeah, and, and, and this is the, the sweat test that i'm more familiar with so yeah again talk talk us through what the online test does and, and it's probably i think for those thinking about um, hydration and how they um, really have a strategy ar around replacing st um, salts and uh, sodium and, and various other things within their body, it's probably what I would suggest to be their first port of call to try and understand what they are as, as regards to their sweat rate and things. So yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about the, um, the online test? Sure, and I'd agree. I'd say that is a really good starting point. Um, not only because of the current circumstances we're in, but it, it gets them thinking about their hydration and, and their own needs. So the online test is a, a series of questions, about 10 questions, which everyone that does the advanced test also conducts them questions. So where the online one grew from was the fact that we'd done all these advanced tests that had also done the, the questions and we were starting to see correlations between what people thought they were and what they actually were mm -hmm. and so we then had the data analyzed a paper got published that showed that there was good correlation between them two and so we got to the point where we felt confident enough to just have people do the online test because we understand that it's not feasible for everyone to get down to a center um, so it meant that anyone anywhere could could take the sweat test and start trialing the products um, confidently um, on, on the online test so that's where that grew from it's 10 questions it asks things like what is your sweat rate like questions about what activities they do you know about their training is that done in a hot condition or how much of their training is done in a hot condition do they think they're on the salty side or not and that's that's a tough question people are often like oh how do i how do i know if i'm salty or not yeah, and yeah. there's some indicators you know if, if you're someone that ever sees white marks on clothing or you know helmet straps and things or caps that's quite a good indicator of someone that's losing a lot of salt or if you really feel it stinging your eyes to the point where it's quite uncomfortable i feel crusty it sounds a bit gross but that for me is my sign that i'm on the salty side and when i dry off afterwards and i rub my face and i can feel crusty um so another one which is perhaps a little bit more controversial but if someone's suffering from muscle cramping a lot that can be 
quite a sign of being on the on the higher and, end. Why is that controversial? Because that, that that's something that I automatically assumed with lack of salt within the body. Yeah, and, it's and just... always calves. It was it's always the calves that seem to get. I don't know if other areas are, are more prone as well. No, the calves are the worst, aren't they? It's like being shot. Yeah, yeah. No, so the, it's a little bit more controversial because the research is hard to do. Um, you know, anecdotally, we feel pretty confident saying that you know, if if someone's reporting that they're a big volume sweater, they feel like they're salty. They do Ironmans in hot conditions, and it's in the latter stages of, of a race that they're cramping. You know, they're all signs to us that okay, this really could be electrolyte deficiency and we've had so many people that when they start supplementing and, and have a better hydration plan and strategy have such success and they can um you know stave off that that cramp that we, we feel confident that there's there's definitely something in that yeah um and and i'd say around sort of um 50 you know a big proportion of the possible causes of cramp is is probably electrolytes and dehydration issues but there are certainly other ones that that can't be disregarded such as you know a lack of conditioning can be a cause of cramp if you're just pushing the body too far yep. cramp is kind of like the body putting the brakes on if you're over stretching and overworking a muscle beyond its kind of limit the body will just say no we're going to stop this so that's that's definitely a cause sometime but glycogen depletion has also been thrown out there as, as a possible one a biomechanical issue is quite common on the bike if your bike setup is incorrect and again a muscle is getting worked inappropriately um but then kind of factors i mentioned at the start of this bit if, if it's any of them kind of things are cropping up then certainly um it can be it could be an electrolyte deficiency thing but it's controversial because we've not got that that one paper that you can bang on the table and say that proves it because cramping is really hard to study you know trying to get someone to cramp in a lab is is not easy yeah um, and, it, and it's really interesting that you say about um you know pushing the body too far and and, and i do believe that and most athletes but definitely triathletes do this that when they step up they are they are training because maybe they're going a little bit further maybe they're trying to play catch up after an injury or maybe um or maybe they're just ramping up because it's that time of the season where they need to increase the training and um a lot of triathletes were pushed too far too soon and we, we often get it on the channel here that people ask you know how do i increase my training effectively and you know, sometimes there's not always a, an answer to that other than, you know, looking at their training plan and being gradual. You know, some people, someone asked us yesterday on um, on social media, can I train for a 100-mile running race with only four weeks um, preparation? And no, <laughs> I, I did have to laugh because the answer is no, uh, unless you're already at that fitness where you are ready for a 100-miler. Because um, even if you were marathon fit, maybe just maybe you could push it to it. But uh, that's ridiculous. But anyway, I, I think what I'm trying to get is a lot of triathletes are pig-headed. They they often try and push too hard too soon without fully understanding their bodies. And, and again, this is another reason why I wanted to, to do this particular um, podcast. The one thing I was going to suggest, um, going to say, and I, I forgot to mention a, a little bit earlier, when you're talking about sweat marks. 
and when you're uh, talking about being a heavy sweater, what I find is when, when I run, I, I sweat heavily. But on the bike, probably because I've got that, that, um, that wind that's drying me constantly, I don't always notice my sweat rate unless it's a really hot day. Um, and it's not until I come off the bike then that yeah, you, you look at your chin strap, you look at your helmet, and, and, it, and it's white. Um, yeah. and, and again, you said you, you can sort of feel it on your skin and it's quite abrasive. And that's obviously, I'm assuming, the salt within your sweat. Yeah, absolutely. And you've hit the nail on the head, really, with what you've said, Andrew, in that on the bike, you've got that constant airflow, which that air moving across the skin helps better evaporation, which is ultimately what, what sweat is. The sweat, you know, comes onto the skin and it's the evaporation of the liquid off of the skin that takes heat with it. And that's how cooling works. Um, with that more airflow, evaporation is, is increased. Um, and on the run, it perhaps sits, sits on the skin a bit more. So. And, and I find with, with the bike, um, a bit of a double-edged sword in the sense of you, you have the ability to take in fluids on the bike because you know, um, they're there, they're, you know, they're strapped to, your, to, your, to your, your bottles, cage, and things like that. So I found when I first got into triathlon, I had to set a little bit of a reminder to keep drinking. Um, and you know, I, I wasn't very good at it at the time, and, and maybe I would just take in water or or, or some sort of tablet within the, within the water. But I had to constantly remind myself to keep to keep drinking. But when I'm on the run, I find that that's a little bit more difficult because unless you plan for aid stations or family members, which technically you're not allowed to do if you're doing an official Ironman race and take take anything off the crowd. It, it, it can be quite difficult to to take in the salt so one of the things i definitely want to ask around is strategy but before i ask that question <laughs> another question i want to ask is um so why is it important what is the science behind what a lack of salt and water within the body stops you from doing yeah great question and we get this one all the time because there's definitely people out there that come to us that haven't had a, like a big blow up like a big hydration problem they've perhaps been getting away with stuff and so the idea of having to take some stuff is like well why why would i need to do that and sort of things that you might see if you started to get low on sodium in a race would be you know feelings of fatigue which again hard to address because an iron man is fatiguing either way but other things would be, you know, a lightheadedness or dizziness after an event is a dead common one of, of being low on sodium, being sodium depleted, muscle cramping again, as we already talked about, is an element of that. A loss of power. So what a big effect, which is perhaps where I should have started, is that when you get low on sodium, sodium is, is the main electrolyte in your blood plasma, in your blood and sodium is really important in fluid balance so water follows sodium so when you've got plenty of sodium your body retains more fluid um, when you're low on sodium you've got less fluid okay. so you've got a lower blood plasma volume less blood circulating around the body and blood is obviously hugely important when you're exercising because it's what delivers oxygen to the muscles it's what delivers uh, to the skin for it to uh, be drawn from sweat and so it's huge in cooling. Um, and so when you are low on sodium, low on blood plasma volume, um, and there's uh, less blood to go around, 
the demand is still there to be met. You know, the skin is still crying out for blood. The muscles are still crying out for blood and the heart has to step in to fill that demand. So if you're, if there's less blood to go around, the heart has to pump a lot harder and you'll see your heart rate begin to drift to meet that demand. Whereas if you stay well hydrated and with good sodium levels, then you maintain your blood plasma volume and that, that demand is kind of more easily met. So it has a huge effect on thermoregulation as well. Um, and that links quite closely into making sure you start these events well hydrated because else you, you kind of cross that threshold where the body can't match its demand far earlier than than if you go in in well hydrated and, and i suppose you know you're just playing catch-up if you're already dehydrated before a race you, you know you're playing catch-up from the very beginning and absolutely and, and it, it's more common than than you think you know there was a study done and i think it was in 2016 uh, across a load of different sports um males and females different age groups to see how many athletes were turning up to an, a training session dehydrated and it was around a third a oh, well, third of people were starting exercise dehydrated, which is, is huge. because You're just starting on the back foot before you've, you've even begun to sweat. And I suppose one of the questions I should have asked at the very beginning is some of the terms that's used within the, the industry and, 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 the, um, and, the, uh, and the sport itself. And, you know, we've used salt, we've used sodium, we've used the term electrolyte. And I, and I suppose there's some confusion out there on what each of them are. And my understanding is salt and sodium is the same thing. Um, and salt is an electrolyte. And are there other electrolytes is my question. This is, this is a great thing to address. And, and actually, I should have addressed it myself because I've been using them a little bit interchangeably. So an electrolyte is a charged particle. Um, a molecule with a charge and that that's sodium it's calcium it's potassium uh, magnesium so there's there's numerous electrolytes in the body sodium is the one we focus on because it's the main one that you lose when you sweat and it's the one that has the biggest effect on fluid balance so whilst the other ones you lose you lose them in very very minor proportions and not enough for them to kind of be uh, performance limiting you, you get enough from the foods you eat and things like that so that's electrolyte a charged particle salt is actually sodium chloride so it's it's technically incorrect to say that salt and sodium are the same thing although they are very frequently used interchangeably so it, that's where the confusion comes from um, and even more so on on some um, electrolyte tablets out there if you look on the nutrition table at the back it won't list the sodium content it will list salt so it will say salt 0.5 grams but salt is 40% sodium and 60% chloride. So actually the sodium content of that, that electrolyte tablet is more like 200 milligrams per liter. So I think that causes some confusion. And that's why in our own products, we, we literally have named them by their sodium content to be super transparent with how much people are taking. Because I think that's a, a real problem with some athletes particularly if you're not familiar with hydration if you ask someone one you know how much is is a good amount of salt uh, sodium to be taking yeah. they, they might not know and two if you ask them well, how much you're taking at the moment they might not know and, and i can put money on it majority of amateur triathletes 
won't be able to answer any of those questions. That um, a lot of you know, some of them would probably be using other brands, which yeah, you pop in a bottle with water and you you make up um, you know a a bottle with with electrolytes in it. Let's call it that. Um, and they'll just go off the letter of the law, I suppose, which is written on the back of the the um, the, the packet. And and I suppose from our discussion now, that just shows that you need to have a little bit more sense behind it or a little bit more science into what your personal needs are yeah um, so that's definitely something you know some of our listeners should take away that you know if they can get online um at least try and understand what their sh- sweat rate is by using um your online test that would be really beneficial to them definitely it's a good place to start it's a, it's a good learning experience it, and it all comes kind of back to self-awareness and i think the more experience you have and the more trialing trial and error you can do the greater self-awareness you build and you learn to be able to listen to your body's needs a little bit more and become more in tune so whilst you we you know encourage athletes to go into an event with a strategy and a plan they need to build the confidence in having some flexibility within that based on the conditions on the day so you know no two races are going to be the same the conditions will be different the intensity you go off that will be different maybe you 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 um tactics will be different depending on you know have they broke they broken away in front of you etc etc um and so having a plan and like you said on the bike under you learned that you needed to be a bit more mindful with reaching for your bottle and making sure you were drink that's a great example of that making sure you've got everything you could possibly need with you and having a rough kind of plan of what you want to be taking and when but through all your practicing and your training you're super confident that should things change you can kind of work on the fly a bit and tune into your body and listen to what it's needing and what it's telling you at that, that moment in time and one of the other things um i think triathletes get confused and athletes in general i think and when they first come into the sport and maybe they don't come from a background where they've they've had to think about their hydration before other than like i said a bottle of water or maybe a um a popular um sports energy drink um during a football match rugby match or whatever they played is around um the confusion often around fuel and hydration and people will automatically, the people that I speak to anyway, will automatically say, it's all right, I don't need an energy gel because I've put this tablet in my water and that'll keep me going. Or the other way around, I don't need to take in any salt because my energy gel will give me everything I need. Um, is that something that you, you guys have come across some of that confusion? Definitely. We get questions on on hydration and fueling all the time and um it is definitely confusing because you could you look at one product is claiming to give you everything you possibly need and the next product looks the same but it may only be electrolytes and the next product along it might actually be a recovery drink and be full of proteins you know so it can be very confusing and the advice there would be take a look at the back you know get really interested in what you're putting in your body um they are certainly two different things ultimately if you boil it down when you're doing a prolonged piece of exercise um, or race competition whatever it is you're doing you're going to start to need some calories some fluids and some salts now how much you need on them three things will come down to personal and individual needs but by 
keeping them kind of separate or as separate as you can. This is what we typically advocate, particularly for endurance athletes and people that are racing in the heat. Keep your fluids and sodium in one bottle and get your fuels from, you know, real foods or semi-solids, chews, bars, gels, that type of thing. It means that you have more control over all of these factors and you can dial them up and down independently of one another rather than opting for a kind of uh, an all-in-one mix. It gives you energy, it gives you sodium, it gives you fluid, it gives you everything you're going to possibly need. You don't need anything else. You're, you're a bit limited and that can become a problem when you're doing these longer events and particularly if it's hot because if it's very hot you get more thirsty you're reaching for your bottle more and more frequently because it's more fluid that you require and perhaps more sodium but you've limited yourself in that you can't take that fluid on board without getting them calories as well and perhaps it's not them calories that you're, you're needing at that time and that can cause some real gi problems for people as well going back to that that blood flow and that thermoregulatory effect of the skin crying out for more blood and the muscles still needing their requirement the blood uh, sorry the gut also gets some blood flow yeah. now when it's very hot that blood flow is like extremely reduced because suddenly it's not as important as the skin or or the muscles um and so when you're when it's hot and blood's not passing through that absorption rate from gut to bloodstream slows and a high carb content drink slows slows that movement even more so that's when you really want to be keeping your fluids hypotonic they move quickest from gut to bloodstream and uh fueling independently of that separately um is a smarter move but it's again something that people should trial go and trial it um (laughs) I always say that like disclaimer, some people will get on really well with that all in one bottle and there's time and places where then things are are really effective and on shorter stuff, on cooler stuff, that that might be the way forward. And it sure is an attractive approach, isn't it? To just have one bottle on your bike. So I can see why, why that works with some people. And I know plenty of athletes that that is their, their go-to successful, robust plan. So a majority, of, yeah, majority of the people who listen to our channel, they aren't the top pros. So the, the, the difference between having one bottle on your bike against two bottles on your bike is probably going to be minimal. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, and you make a really good point about trialing, trialing beforehand. And we're massive advocates on the channel about ensure that you try anything out in training before you race. Because there's too many horror stories of people trying new things on race days or go into an aid station on race day, finding out they don't have the product that they normally use and disaster, whether that be cramped, um, stomach cramps, whether that be worse, whether that just being able not to stomach anything so you end up not, not having any fuel. It's, yeah, there's so many out there. Final question around that sort of fueling and hydration. We often talk about um, hitting the wall or in cycling it's called bonking, you know, at that, that point where you, you just feel you have no energy, you can't go any further. Um, and I often say to people, if, if you've hit that point, um, you've gone too far. You, you should have put something in your body, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour pre- previous to that. And it's all about ensuring that you stay at a, at a regular level. But that hit in the wall, I often just assume that with fuel. Can you also have that with dehydration as well? 
Um, good question. De certainly, it, it would be a different kind of hitting the wall. It it will. It's not talked about in the same way, is it? You know, everyone is familiar with that hitting of the wall on on calories and fueling. I definitely think there's a drop off in performance um, when that level of dehydration becomes so severe that you'll you'll start to see that uh, loss of power and that will again come back to that lack of uh, blood flow and blood volume in that the heart is struggling to you know the heart rate's at its limit it's working as hard as it can to meet this demand and there's just blood volume continuing to decrease um, and and eventually your performance will suffer in that the heart rate can't um, account for this any longer can't fill the void and so it will drop off um, not in quite the same way as, as bonking perhaps but it certainly will have a, a big effect on performance one thing that and maybe this is kind of going off on a little bit of a tangent now but Andy talks very interestingly about an experience he, he had in Nice and this was before he was aware of his kind of his extreme sodium losses it was very very hot in Nice it was a big big race for him he'd made the GB squad and he was super, super, you know, hyper aware of the fact that he didn't want to get dehydrated. So he drank a lot the day before. He drank a lot the morning of. He got on the bike. What did he do? He drank some more. And he just kept drinking. And he was fueling really well. And he started to feel really rubbishy, like fuzzy headed, unwell. It felt, and he, this is his words, like he was bonking. But he knew he wasn't because his fueling strategy was really really good it, he trialed it he practiced it and it was solid so he thought it's got to be hydration i've got to be dehydrated so he drank some more and he essentially drank himself into the medical tent because he overdid the plain water because that's all he was drinking he wasn't is that called hyponutremia or something like that very close hyponatremia yeah. very good Probably and was. so for anyone listening that isn't aware of that that's low blood sodium levels and essentially what Andy did was diluted his body's sodium stores so excessively um, that he got horrific cramping on that day um, and made himself really ill. Because what you do is when you, you put too much water into the bloodstream, you dilute them sodium levels, the body tries to counteract that effect by sucking that water up into its cells. So you probably become a bit puffy and you swell a little bit but that can make you feel really rotten when that starts to happen in your head. And actually it can be, it can be fatal when that, that happens in the brain cells. And there have been um, many deaths from hyponatremia in the past. And it kind of grew from, there was an era around, you know, the sort of the 1990s, 2000s, where the hydration advice was drink as much as you can, you know, drink, drink, drink. And athletes being athletes, sort of like what you discussed, Andrew, with them pushing too hard and trying to, do things too early yeah, yeah. you know if you tell them to do a lot of something they'll do you know a lot a lot of something they always take it too far or more frequently take it too far and so that was a big big wake-up call for Andy and very very scary and um I've forgotten how we got onto this tangent now but I'm sure I was going to make a point um but yeah, no, well, no, you've made the point Def, um, and it was actually one of my questions that I forgot to ask earlier about you know, plain water, you know, a lot of people just say, oh, I'll just drink water, I'll be fine and things. But my, one of my points was then going to be about drinking too much water. And so, yeah, you made that point really valid. So from a product point of view, what, what can people take? 
And, and what specifically do you offer at um, Precision Hydration? So if hydration is your sole aim, that's your focus, that's what you want to get out of your water bottle, then we'd encourage you to take an electrolyte tablet because sodium helps hydration. It helps quicker absorption in the stomach and it helps you to retain more fluid in the bloodstream, which is very, very helpful. So uh, talking about our own products, we have four different strengths of electrolyte. And what we try and do is off the back of either the advanced test or the online sweat test is advise you on what's the right strength for you based on your losses. So how much are you losing? How much you need to put back in? And, it, and it's really as simple as that. You know, it's a simple equation. And we have our pH 500 strength, which is not too dissimilar from um, other electrolyte tablets out on the shelves. If you look on the back, very similar sodium content. We've got then our pH 1000, which is about double the strength, and our pH 1500, which is about triple the strength. Yeah. And I think that can sound quite fearful to some people, you know, quite scary. Um, you know, triple the, the sodium, triple the salt content. And um, that's perhaps why doing the online test and the advanced test is so useful. It's real confidence boost to see, well, actually, this is how much I'm losing. And once you see it all laid out for you, what you're losing, suddenly what you've got to put back in makes a lot more sense and is a lot more comforting. Okay. And um, with regards to the sweat test and the products, um, what's the website? Where can people find the, the information on it? So our website is www.precisionhydration.com. Um, so that's our online store, but also there's loads of blogs on that. So if anyone is kind of listening to this and we've not touched upon something or you've got a question, that would be a great place to go and try and find that answer. If you can't find the answer on one of our blogs, then do drop us an email at hello at precisionhydration.com and you'll get one of the team and you'll get a real person reply to you um, and they'll, they'll be able to point you in the direction and hopefully answer your question as well. Um, and I'm assuming the website shows you the locations of where you can do the advanced sweat test when, when we're out of lockdown, obviously. And yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, no sweat testing at the moment. I'm missing it. Uh, no, no worries. Right. Abby, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, hopefully, you know, we might have you on in the future if we can find a, a topic which is um, that links to a pre a precision hydration. So, yeah, thank you very much. And uh, we'll speak soon. No, thank you. Bye, Andrew. Thanks for listening to the Life for Try podcast. We really hope you enjoyed. And if you have any thoughts or feedback in how we can improve or any topics you want us to talk about in the future, please let us know. We exist to try and make triathlon simple. So your feedback is really important to us. Check out our social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. Um, subscribe to those channels. Follow us, like us, tag us into posts. Just interact with us and we look forward to speaking to you in the future. Thanks for listening.